and welcome back to Free Reeling It, the movie show where we talk about movies that we don't know if we enjoy yet, because sometimes it's the first time that we're watching them. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Jesse, and with me today is your other host, Matthew. Say hi, Matthew. Hello, Jesse. How are you? I'm good. I realize that's probably the weirdest opening I've done, but I like started it and I, I'm like, oh, I don't remember how I do these. Yeah, uh, sometimes you just, sometimes just... See where, see where the jazz takes you, you know? Yeah, sometimes you gotta do a little scatting in the middle of your yeah. uh, freeform jazz. Um, yeah. Today, we're talking about the 1966... Man, this movie's older than I thought it was. Yeah. 1966 movie by Sergio Leone, the third in the Dollars trilogy, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Yes. El Bruno, El Bruto, El Cativo. It's funny that this is the third in the Dollars trilogy while there's no dollar in the name. Yeah. Well, I like I like how they call some people call it the Dollars trilogy, some people call it the Man with No Name trilogy. See, I thought the Man with No Name trilogy was a different trilogy. I believe it's this. I could be wrong. I've always I've, I I I remember a I'm looking it up. I remember a DVD oh, you're right, you're box right, you're set you're right. of of being at Tower Records called the Man with No Name trilogy, and that was before I had seen any of these movies because I didn't see these till like at least two thousand six or seven. Like I saw. You are correct. Yeah. I think I might have seen Fistful of Dollars, mm-hmm. but I don't. I, I know I saw one of those previous ones. I just don't remember which one. Yeah. I've seen like a handful of Clint Eastwood's uh, westerns. Yeah. Still. Yeah. Uh, Saw Hang 'em High. Hang 'em High, High Plains Drifter. Uh, this is the the this trilogy. Just before we stick to this one, is yes, probably some of his best work. Just as a as a presence in a western. Um, although I will say, if you've ever seen Yojimbo, I believe you've seen you've basically seen a fistful of dollars. Um, because a fistful of dollars is, pro- I mean, I, I think it was, uh, it might've been, it might've been the late Roger Ebert who basically said in one of his essays that, yeah, maybe a fistful of dollars did what, uh, Gus Van Zant psycho thought it was doing first. <laughs> Cause it's kind of a, it's almost a shot for shot remake of yeah, fistful of, yeah. or of, uh, of Jimbo, Jimbo, but instead. Uh, of Samurai, it is the West. Yeah, I, I kind of want to go back and watch it now that I've seen Yojimbo and kind of pick up on all that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all, it's kind of like uh, if you've seen The Magnificent Seven, you've probably seen a very abridged version of The Seven Samurai. But what if I watched the modern Magnificent Seven with Denzel Washington and Chris Pratt and Ethan Hawke and Vincent D'Onofrio? And... I haven't seen that one, so I don't know. Well, this isn't about the Magnificent Seven. This is about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yes. Uh, Runtime of two hours and 58 minutes. Maybe the longest movie we've watched on this podcast so far. Pretty close, yeah. I don't think... Have we watched anything that's three hours? Uh, I I don't remember how long Come and See was. It wasn't three hours. Okay, then, then this is probably the longest. I mean, if you want to talk about... If you want to talk about actual time, we did do... Uh, the Last Temptation of Christ and Silence. So, yeah, I mean, th- yeah, that took a lot. Oh, Silence, d- might, Silence might actually be the longest movie we've done. 
Yeah, and uh, and we did do the entire Gundam movie trilogy. <laughs> so yeah, that's a trilogy. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying. <laughs> like, if we're talking, if we're talking time, um, silence is not over three. Okay. I think there is an over three hour cut of silence. Though. I'm curious. Oh, there probably that. is. There probably is. Um. So the basic plot of this movie is Clint Eastwood's character Blondie and Eli Wallach's character Tuco have this scheme going on where Tuco keeps on getting a higher higher bounty and Clint Eastwood keeps bringing him in and to get him to hang and then he shoots him down and they collect they split the bounty um and then you have uh Lee Van Cleef's character which I cannot pronounce his name Angel Eyes just call him that yeah Angel Eyes (laughs) um who is basically a hitman and he learns about some gold that a confederate soldier has buried somewhere and through a bunch of shenanigans, uh, Tuco and Blondie, uh, Eli and Clint's character, mm-hmm. uh, end up knowing two halves of the location of the gold. Um, and uh, Angel Eyes needs their their information, and that's kind of where, I, I guess the middle of the movie picks up. The first yeah. half is a lot of meandering to get there, which not like bad meandering, like really fun meandering, but it is a bit meandering. Uh-huh. Um, and then the second half is like shenanigans of like how do these three keep on running into each other yeah that sums up the plot pretty well right I mean yeah what I like what I love about this movie is I kind of feel like there's uh, the westerns that John Ford made mm-hmm. which are to greater and lesser extents, you know, stories of heroes and villains where this just seems like grand gestures in old Western tropes or Western film tropes. And instead of, instead of being like a pretty strong through line, which even as thin as this through line is, Leona maintains it really, really well. Uh, it is just one kind of grand gesture after another, each increasing in uh, plaus- or in increasing in sometimes lack of plausibility, but also sometimes just general plausibility. Mm-hmm. But never really, uh, never really going off the rails. And uh, and then it also increases in like drama, tension, ambition, and it, it culminates in uh, not to get ahead of ourselves here. In I think the most ambitious of things from just a, a filmmaking standpoint, because instead of making uh, most of the final fifteen minutes about the characters, it's about the shots in a lot of the ways yeah like the way that the way that leone sets up like that sequence uh but i know we're probably gonna get there so i don't want to stay i don't want to get there yet um but yeah this is a this is a wonderful a wonderful film and i think that uh it might be if it's not my favorite western ever it's always in that conversation have we talked about uh, Slow West on this podcast before? We have talked about watching it a couple of times, and I still want to watch it. So Okay. 
I, th- I I think Slow West picks up on the I think kind of like the key part of Sergio Leone's movie, which is the West is unforgiving in unnatural ways. Uh-huh. Um, but another thing too, like comparing Ford to Leone. Now I've seen a few of Sergio Leone's films, um, and I've seen plenty of John Ford films. I'm watching so much John Wayne. Yeah. Um, is that John Ford's or John Wayne's West? If you want, even want to compare like John Wayne versus Clint Eastwood, um, John Wayne's West is a very singular, small town West. Yeah. Where Clint Eastwood's West is a very it's it's open it's unnaturally uh, desert it's um, diabolical and it's heavy with war. Mm-hmm. And I feel like those two things differentiate and make and make it uglier like yeah. i don't i think i think my dad said uh john wayne hated this movie when it came out oh yeah 100 um, percent. i mean i've read story i mean i've read stories like orson wells told sergio leone not to make this movie because having the civil war anywhere near your film is box office poison uh and um get just to not to not to like take from what you're saying because I, I hope i'm not yeah. interrupting or stomping on you uh, like John Wayne's West and John Ford's West feels mythological. Yeah, it feels. It, it kind of feels like it's it's done in the spirit of of tall tales that you know have been passed down through generations. Whereas this kind of feels like like because it's not set in the Monument Valley where John Ford and John Wayne kind of made their home court advantage. Yeah. Uh, it is set in a, you know, there's, there's mountains in the background, but this is mostly just barren. Yeah. And sometimes eerie. And the way that like, the way that Sergio Leone uses both distance and, you know, landscapes, as well as just close-ups on eyes throughout the film, uh, it it's really it it's really it really brings everything to a different kind of focus. Uh, yeah. Rather than, I mean, I think that like you talk about people, uh, cinemaphiles talk about you know the French New Wave sort of being like the 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 spark that um, ignites modern cinema. I think this is the western getting new language yeah and and new scope uh because this is this is like essentially an epic road movie through a a historical time in in, i mean it's kind of it's kind of kind of cannibal run in the sense of like these three men uh at once, especially once you hit the halfway point, these three men are trying to hit a goal mm-hmm. as fast as possible before the others get there. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I love the and I love they'll that, do, and the, I and love they'll that blow, Cannonball Run reference that rules. <laughs> and, and, and they'll blow up a bridge to get there. Yeah, which um, oh no, no. Yeah. John Ford did not do. I was thinking of the bridge on the River Kwai, but that's David Lean. Never mind. So, uh, this movie also feels like one of those movies when you learn more and more about the behind the scenes that 
it feels like a movie that shouldn't have like there's no possible way this movie could have gotten made it's yeah it does seem like a lot was against it when your lead actor and your director couldn't communicate in any language but french mm-hmm. yep. or your lead or your lead actor didn't know how to use guns <laughs> yeah. for a western right <laughs> um uh, how your two leads were, were so different in height that it was hard to keep them in frame at times when you needed them both in frame. Yeah. So yeah, it's just, and like, it's, it is kind of just kind of seeing the frustration and the danger and like the impossibility so much happened on this set. Like, just going through some of the facts, just reading through this as we're talking. Mm-hmm. Um, Clint Eastwood, like, basically swore off Leon after this movie because. Um, he was too much of a perfectionist and Clint Eastwood got real tired <laughs> of working yeah. with him. Um, so like, yeah, it's just kind of, it's just kind of funny that like the more you read about this movie, it's really funny that this got made. Yeah. But I mean, it is cool that like they, oh man, Bagel, come on. <laughs> Sorry. Bagel's third, Bagel's third guest. Third, guest, third host. He's, he, he's always welcome. So Bagel, no, no, it's okay. We like the good, the bad, the ugly. It's all right. It's all right. Bagel wants to talk about Bagel Basky. <laughs> Bagel's all about the dude. How the dude abides. The Bagel abides. It's okay, buddy. It's okay. Shit. It's okay. Um, uh, why, don't we, why don't we move then okay. to talking about favorite parts of the movie? So, talking. I mean, favorite parts. I, I think there's. I think there's a lot of. There's a lot of just good, like Western tropes, in this, and I think ultimately my my favorite is, is the scene in the cemetery at the end. Yeah. Um, predominantly because, uh, well, actually, the, it's the two scenes. It's the one where. Uh, Tuco is running through the cemetery looking for. I was hoping you bring up that one. Was looking for was looking for the grave that uh, Eastwood leads him to, and then, <clears throat> of course, there's the standoff. Uh, but tying into that, there's something there's there's a technique I notice every time in different ways that I watch this movie, but I love the way. Uh, Leona uses sight lines. Yeah, like for for example, there are times where, uh, where it seems like the characters on screen just stumble into something that looks like it was in plain goddamn sight. Like before, mm-hmm. be- like before they before they before the bridge scene, um, they stumble onto a onto a a civil war battlefield essentially where you think they would have known or heard something but just mm-hmm. all of a sudden like someone just co- just steps in right off screen and says hey what are you doing here <laughs> and then eli wallach brilliantly says you know oh i, I we're here to enlist general uh and then he's like learn to establish rank i'm a captain um but uh, my my favorite are, are, is the two scenes that I mentioned, mainly because uh, I think they are among the most beautiful pieces that Ennio Morricone ever put out. Uh, 
Ennio Morricone is the composer. Uh, he's done, I think at this point, I think he's passed on now, but um, but I know he probably has a hundred movie soundtracks, at least to his credit. Like he's done a lot and a lot of them were the were of the Italian spaghetti westerns from uh, the 50s and 60s but uh, very few are as iconic as the soundtrack to The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, which I think is still my favorite score. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, speaking on, and speaking on the score, like that's, I feel like that's a pretty quality moment entirely because this, you could talk about the way Leone just sort of hangs on a scene for a really long time and meanders, but when it's accompanied by the score, the mind is still at work for me. Like I'm still working, I'm still like entertained and engaged and, and, uh, and enjoying it, especially because of the way uh, Morricone used uh, vocals throughout the entire thing. Like I think a lot of, I hate to say it this way because it sounds kind of gross, very good mouth sounds <laughs> all over the score from whistling to... Uh, different types of ahs and oohs or uh, I mean even in the the main theme like there's there's a lot of grunting that comes off really well and I think that if this wasn't a western score it would sound quite at home in a in a in a sci-fi movie as well despite being very anti-sci-fi yeah but like I could see like like I'll tell you right now uh, if if this were set to a space western like firefly i'd probably like firefly a lot more than i do yeah but i don't like firefly and i don't think it's because the music is not great but yeah i don't think that's the reason (laughs) that's a different thing uh different conversation but um but i don't want to talk about the final scene just yet despite it being like my favorite moment uh i will say when angel eyes has kind of caught Blondie and Tuco and um, they end up getting away from him and his crew in that little town. I think that sequence is paced really well where they're like, we know that there's five of them and there's two of us and uh, and uh, what is it? That one armed, the guy from the beginning catches mm-hmm. Tuco taking a bath yeah. And he's like, I've been waiting for this. And then Tuco just shoots him out of the tub and goes, when you need to shoot, shoot. Don't talk. Yeah, don't talk. <laughs> oh, this movie's so good. Oh, actually, that reminds me. Uh, Lee Van Cleef's first scene in the movie where he mm-hmm. goes to the the house with uh, the man and the family and looking for, uh, what's his name? What is he? What is he? What name does he use? Before he says he's going by Bill Carson. Um, you're gonna. I think that I've. I'd never really put this together, but I'm pretty sure George Lucas kind of stole that scene for Star Wars. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even even with the regardless of whether you you want to go on the Han or Greedo shot first, uh, but I feel like that. I think. Lucas probably did a lot of good thievery there. 
or homage, I, I, I or homage, whichever way you want to go. <laughs> I think Star Wars and a lot of movies like Star Wars are built on good theory, which is a pretty okay thing in my opinion. Yeah. Oh no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to sit there and say like, oh, thievery. Come on, Hitchcock stole. Spielberg is definitely stolen. Stole yeah. Like, I, I, look, very few geniuses in this era are going to put out original stuff that they have not stood on the shoulders of giants to reach. I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm not, not, I'm not that naive, but, uh, I just pointing out something I'd never really put together before. Um, so before we delve into like the final two scenes, which I really want to, uh, what are, what are, what are your moments? What are, what are your favorites? Well, we talked, I mean, we talked about the, the graveyard scene, like not the final, final part of the graveyard scene, but the part where Tuco's running around, uh-huh. um, and looking grave. And I, yeah, that scene, I just really appreciate for its balance and it's restraint in, um, being clear, like, yeah. uh, where it comes like so when it starts like you can kind of see everything you can kind of make sense how Tuco can find things and he will how he's looking but by the end it becomes a mass panic where not just Tuco is being like blurred in the frame but so is everything he's looking at when it cuts back to the graves and stuff and I and it's one of those things where like it creates an uneasiness that most directors I think would be too scared to create mm-hmm. um it, maybe that's just me reading into modern directors too much but I, I think there is that like the, the idea of maybe making your audience sick with your camera work isn't something that people do anymore because everybody, like it's it is good to make sure you don't make your audience motion sick but I don't sure. think Leon cared <laughs> oh no I I, th- I well I also think that take the motion sickness out of it I do love the way that it is like like everything you said but also somehow it's frantic at the same time yeah because I don't really, I don't think a lot of these, sh- I, I I know like towards the end, right before they zoom in on the Arch Stanton grave, like at the, just before that moment is when they start to get a little blurry. It's sort of like a darkest for the, before the dawn sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But it's so perfect when Tuco has had, you know, what, three cannonballs just shot at him by yep. Blond- by Blondie. And he's like, oh, no, the cemetery the cemetery's here. And then, you know, you get the you get the ecstasy of gold from Ennio Morricone just building momentum behind all of this. And it's timed so well with the music. And, uh, and it just it's I, I I've been in I I've been in that moment several times where I'm like hyper focused but somehow frantic at the same time. And Bagel, why are you doing this to me? Let's talk about Bagel Lebowski again. Bagel Bagel Lebowski, get over here. Um, yeah, and, and I think I think another one of my favorite scenes is when Tuco jumps the train uh, to get away from the from the rest of the the the, 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 rest the, of the where he's beaten where he's caught by the Civil War guy. Yeah, by the by the union uh, people. Yeah, uh, uh, just, I'm not even that. Like how they get caught by the union <laughs> to go, go. Uh, It's like oh, there's people coming in. And, oh and, yeah. Uh, oh, Bonnie that's goes, that's great. Oh my god. Bonnie goes, wait a second, what color are they? And he and he looks and he goes, oh, but they're gray. It's fine. And as they get closer, you realize they're covered in soot from the war. <laughs> And he realizes it way too late, and they're covered in gray in, in gray uniforms too. So they think they're Confederates. 
Uh, that's just a really funny scene. But um, the train scene, though, where he lays the dead body of the guard on the tracks and uh-huh. you, like, wait for the train to come and it catches the body and it drags it out and two goes. Yeah. Savagery of that, I think, is really well done. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think I think there's a certain... I think there's a certain brashness with with this particular Leon. In fact, this in Once Upon a Time in the West, yeah. uh, there's a certain brashness about it where Leon, where Leon is going, yeah, I'm not the, I'm not a coward like y'all. I'm gonna show I'm gonna show some real villainy here, and I mean he's probably the one who could make uh, Henry Fonda the most evil, with, yeah. which he did in Once Upon a Time in the West, uh, which is saying something because. Henry Fonda is often looked at as like the patron saint of the good guy of the cinema, which is kind of weird. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I do love that. Leone just says, no, nope, we're going to, these guys are, these guys are so focused on their goal. They don't care what they have to have to do to get there. I mean, this is also after he has drug Blondie through the desert. <laughs> yeah, I also appreciate like every time Blondie gets the upper hand on Tuco because it's just the only time Tuco really gets the upper hand on Blondie is just by accident. Oh yeah, hundred percent. But Blondie's just just easily outsmarts Tuco every time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really appreciate like the like the scene at the beginning where um. Or Tuco tries to uh, get him with uh, with his with his cousins, Uh, like his his brothers or whatever. Yeah, and And, I mean that's the only time he seems smart. He's like, oh yeah, there are two kinds of spurs: the spurs that come in through the door and the kind that come in through the window. Yeah, but like Clancy's is just too slick. He knows about cannons are about to hit. He's like, hey, (laughs) we're gonna get hit with a cannon. You better watch out. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then like the second time where um. It's when Tuco goes in the bath and in he's like busting on the door and then he just quietly opens the door and, and he's not there and Blondie's behind him. Uh-huh. Very, very good stuff there. Um, so yeah, let's talk about those last few scenes. Okay, so we talked about the graveyard scene and uh, I don't really think we need to go more there, but the, the final standoff between... Uh, Tuco, Blondie, and Angel Eyes is pr- I, it, it's one of those things it is the most audacious thing in this film which is full of audacious things like an ambitious civil war battle which culminates in which culminates in the dream of the Union General to just blow up the bridge to save more lives than have died Mm -hmm. thus far um you know tuco pulling a union soldier off a train killing him and then having a train cut off the chains uh going to have a confrontation with his brother at the monastery like it this is the most audacious because every all of the stakes have led here and i know that that's that probably seems well obvious like well of course it's the climax of the movie of course all the stakes have led here but since this movie so many others would choose the bombastic action the 
like uh, the the blaze of glory as it were and we could look at we could look at films in recent history and films just after this one made plenty have chosen the bombast and the style over just the sheer substance of the tension of three men trying to see who goes first yeah and this is one of those sequences that if if we were to ever try and do like our favorite i I mean if we were to try and just rank like our five favorite or ten favorite sequences there are probably two that would be at the top of my list it would be this one and the near 20 minute long take from the movie weekend by jean-luc godard the reason for that is the amount of cuts the the rhythm of the actor's eyes everybody looking at each other and the way that um the way that leone's music uh which is actually called the trio uh comes up behind everything bringing everything to a head and cuts get quicker eyes shift faster until that final moment where uh, Angel Eyes pulls out his gun and Blondie takes care of him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 the kind of thing like I, I remember one I think it I don't remember if it was the last time Grace was on or the second to last time, but it, it just it makes me want to be like her and just scream cinema. because it is it's i think it's just celluloid perfection as far as i'm concerned and i cannot i'm so glad if i were blind i would never be able to unsee this scene and i'm happy about that yeah there's something about the overindulgence in those final few scenes mm-hmm. of camera of camera work of cuts of um, silence of tension of gunshots it's all overindulgent in the last twenty minutes of that movie um, to the point where where I'm sitting there and I'm like it's not gonna let Tuco die I gotta, that'd be too much this movie would be too much if this is how this movie ends. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's but it still plays with that for such a long time that you you end up having an internal conversation with yourself that goes back and forth in that in that scene where two was hanging at the end of and this is like not to take I'm gonna go back to the the standoff but this is kind of like playing into that where like you're having an internal conversation is like well I guess if he does it's fine but no he can't do it. and like you're going yeah. that back and forth and when you get to the, when you have that standoff. You're like, well, Tuco shoots Blondie, then, but Blondie shoots, but it, but if, if but if Angel shoots, but it, and like you're trying to debate yourself what kind of outcome you want with these characters, mm-hmm. um, and it lets you sit there with yourself to try to debate that as it's as it's just not giving in. Well, and then and then on top of that, Leone just lets the sequence go till you're tired of having that debate. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like the 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 scene the, the 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 subject of the scene is no longer the scene; it's how the scene was made. Yeah, and and then it finally gives way, and it's in a way anticlimactic, but not in the sense of like you're not satisfied, but you're like, oh, I put way too much thought into that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but see, I also love that as Eastwood's character, as Blondie, is walking towards Tuco, he's make he takes every I think he takes every last shot but one out of his gun yeah. and making sure that Angel Eyes is done. And yeah. like I think the second shot actually puts him in in the Doug grave, <laughs> which is a good Western trope, IMO. Um, and, and then we get the bit of comic relief that all of that tension just sort of yields, which is once again, Tuco, <laughs> Tuco has gotten to dig because there are two kinds of people in this movie. Those with loaded guns and those, those... Who, who dig. Yeah. Uh, Tuco gets to dig and we look up and we see a noose. <laughs> We're back where we came in. Yeah. I love it so much. Uh, I'm so glad we watched this movie, Jesse. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like it's it it's hard to say this isn't the perfect western, but that but by saying that it makes it we I think I think we should be able to say this is a perfect genre film. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't mean there's no such thing as other perfect genre films. Oh, 100%. But I think people are hesitant to say that because they think that that's what that means. Oh, yeah. Oh, agreed. Like, um, so is, I think the, is, this is, is this film flawless? No. No, like, because I mean, it, this is a multilingual cast with a multilingual director. So there's overdubbing galore. There's sound oh, yeah. that doesn't match the voice. There's... Mm-hmm guns pointed in the wrong direction for what they're hitting but they still hit their target like there's all that oh yeah but it, it's nothing it, it's all charm it's nothing ugly about it yeah. uh, other than like people in this movie are just ugly um but purposefully um everybody's just real dirty in this movie yeah um, even when they're taking the bath they're still pretty dirty oh yeah Eli Wallach never gets clean in that tub this is a this is a man who plays Mr. Freeze in the Batman 66 TV show um well I think he was also Calvera in the Magnificent Seven. Yes. Um and he and wrote so a, he, he wrote an autobiography called The Good, the Bad, and the Me. It's good that's a good name. Eli Wallach fucking ruled, man. <laughs> um so yeah, I think I think I could I could put this in the three I think I think three perfect westerns that I've seen so far. I think okay. this could be one of them. Yeah, like I, I would like I'm in seeing when we talk about the perfect, but I think we could just you could say a perfect because what's perfection? It's going to be different. It's going to be different every time. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, Matthew, we didn't talk about this before. I guess we could talk about what we watched first, and then we can talk about what we're watching next because you sure. have to pick it. So. So, um, my I I have not really watched anything oh i recently watched actually that's that's kind of a lie i recently watched uh the last crusade uh, again indiana jones indiana jones indiana jones and the last crusade because of uh a friend who asked me to guest on their rewatch of these films i love the last it's still my favorite you know we could talk about which one's the best and probably raiders is the correct answer there but like last crusade is still my favorite uh and then i started watching the Actually, I don't remember if I said that I finished watching Al Noah Zero on this show. I don't know if you said you finished it or not. Uh, but I did finish it, and it was not quite satisfying. 
but stylish 100% of the time and it went some places and I had some questions and it would take way too long to delve into here but if you if you, if you like cool robots you know Aldo Zero has cool robots and then I started watching Demon Slayer there you go which I've watched the first four episodes and I like Demon Slayer it's pretty good um and it's made me think of a movie I am going to bring as a possibility to watch. But I want to hear what you've been watching, Jesse. I haven't watched anything new. It's all I've been rewatching. Uh, rewatched Batman Begins. Nice. A Batman rewatch up to the movie. Um, oh boy, we're gonna have a whole segment with me talking about Batman without spoiling it next episode, probably. Unless Matthew, you saw it, and then we can talk spoilers because all that matters is that you've seen it. Um, uh, I mean, am I gonna have? To, um, I, I. You have to have three hours to go to the theater and watch a movie. It's not streaming anywhere yet, is it? It's not gonna stream until April. We could do it for April though. Once it starts streaming, I'm down to watch it. You know, um, I, I, I will, I will do that. I will but, do uh, that because I, I just, I just realized the movie that I was gonna bring is not streaming anywhere, so. I mean, uh, if, wait, well, we can talk about that. You can still bring it up. Maybe we can okay. find another way. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, Batman Begins is a really good movie. Uh, I think it's a movie that you're like, I oh, mean, Nolan did a lot of this stuff really practical, then. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it has, like, a nice levity to it, but also doesn't take itself too seriously like the next ones do. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's, that's good. Um, I rewatched Mission Impossible 3. Which one is, is that? I, is it, that's not the John Woo one, is it? No, that's two. Okay. Uh, three's the um, Abrams one. Oh, okay. That one I've not seen. Which, so three, I remember liking three a lot growing up. Mm-hmm. And now that I've gotten kind of older and I understand like story structure more, three is weak when it comes to its story. Not as weak as the John Woo one is, honestly, in a lot of ways. But its okay. action is so dynamic and so fun that it kind of just makes up for that. Okay. Um, where the John Woo action doesn't ever really feel Mission Impossible. It feels like an awkward John Woo movie. Okay, yeah, yeah. You're I, I just like, I think I said this when I talked about Mission Impossible too. John Woo and Mission Impossible or John Woo and Tom Cruise don't mix. Where Tom Cruise and Abrams are like the perfect action mix, but not a real good story. Um, and then I rewatched uh, War for the Planet of the Apes in our also my Matt Reeves watch with a friend. I'm doing a Batman watch with the family and a Matt Reeves watch with a friend. <laughs> um, I like it. War for the Planet of the Apes is a real good movie. <laughs> okay. Um, it's a movie that um, I think uh, you forget that Steve Zahn is playing a monkey in that movie. Uh, you're just oh, like yeah. that's a, that's a good Steve Zahn going on. Um, and I th- and I still I'll hold to it, uh, not counting Lord of the Rings because that's an adaptation of something that previously existed. Uh-huh. I think this is the best Heroes Journey trilogy since uh, Star Wars, the original trilogy. Okay, hold to that. So here's one for I've never seen a Planet of the Apes movie. You don't have to watch any of them. Okay, to watch these ones, okay. because these ones are an alternate universe where things go differently. Okay. But there's, I mean, there's references galore to the other ones. Right. Don't worry about it. I mean, we all know that we all know the Heston line, you know, you blew it up. 
Yeah. Like in the first one, there's a they send they send that that ship to uh, the Mars like they do in the first movie. Yeah. It's lost. Like there's there's references all all over the place. Doesn't right. matter. Um. So yeah, that's why I watched. So Matthew, what are the movies you wanted to bring? Okay, so uh, the original one I was going to bring, uh, it was Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, which is one of my favorite Sam Peckinpah films, um, mainly because there's there's parts of Demon Slayer. Now, I ne- am not saying this is an analog, but parts of Demon Slayer have made me think of that movie, and I haven't watched that movie in a very long time. So I don't know why Demon Slayer is making me think of it, but... I, w- I would like to rewatch it and find out. Um, also, I just pulled up the Criterion uh, channel and ca- and it had a whole bunch of things thrown at me that I think would be fun to watch. Uh, mm-hmm. If we wanted to change up the tone, we could go for some Douglas Sirk melodrama in Written on the Wind, starring, I believe, Rock Hudson, Lauren Bacall, and Robert Stack. I could be wrong there. Or if you wanted to get some atmospheric Italian uh, elliptical storytelling on with good black and white photography we could watch Michelangelo Antonioni's La Ventura Uh, there's also you know Eight and a Half or Judex or there's a 45 film French New Wave collection that we could just watch all in the next two weeks and talk about every single one no I'm kidding um Let's but do. I would say Written say? on the Wind or La Ventura. Okay. Um, written on. Just want to look at a poster of it. Yeah. So that. What's the uh-huh. other? Uh, La Ventura. L A V V E N T E N T U R A. Oh, I can I can mess with this one too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew. I mean, I know. I know it's there because Monica VT, uh, famous Thai actress, re- recently passed. May she rest in peace. Do we want to go? Honestly, let me. This might be unfair to Laventura. I'm gonna just double check. <laughs> yeah, let's go with um, Rain on the Wind because it is much shorter. Okay. And we just did a three-hour movie, so maybe doing an hour forty is better than doing another hour. A two and a half hour movie. Coward. No, I'm kidding. Um, Gosh, I'm just saying. It's going to be busy weeks. It's Come cool. On. It's cool. You're you're doing a lot, and and I I can respect that. So written on the wind in two weeks from us. I'm cool. Written on the wind, and uh, yeah, if you like this show and want to tell us what you feel about it, leave a review wherever you listen. If you want to talk about the movies we watched with us, uh, find us on Twitter at Freewheeling It or email us at freewheelingit at gmail.com. That's basically where you can recommend movies for us to put on our like put on our radars, but also just talk to us about everything that we've talked about. Yeah, um, or whatever you want to talk about. I'm always down for yeah. conversation. Uh, Matthew, who does our theme song? Uh, it is my buddy Jason. Uh, his he goes uh, he's goes by Deadeye. That's D E A D dash I, all caps. Uh, you can find him on Instagram at Deadeye Productions, all one word, D E A D I Productions. And it is off of it is off of his new album, uh, Kingdom of Blood. And 
if you like instrumental reggae, this is probably going to be a good jam for you. Also check out his prior work with the Hope Street Steppers called Black Lightning. came out in 2013. It is one of my favorite reggae lessons ever. And I'm not saying that because he's a close friend. I'm saying that because I believe it to be true. And Matthew, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at infinite underscore rewind everywhere I want to be. That's mainly Twitter and Instagram. Uh, if you play the video games, you can find me on some platforms. Um, but also you can find me hosting two other podcasts uh, with buddies. Uh, I talk about video games on Story Route Zero with three friends. Uh, we mainly talk about what we're playing and try and touch news when we can. Uh, that's story, at Story Route Zero on Twitter. Or Jesse's and my mutual friend Caroline and I, we talk about music in the form of making eight-song playlists to bring us from a negative headspace to a positive one. And you can find that at Trivial Merit. Find me everywhere at Sleeper of the Bed. If you want to listen to one of my other shows, I do with our mutual friend Hana. Um, you can find that at Y Comics Pod. If you want to support this show and all the other shows I do with my friends, you can go to patreon.com slash Ycomics. Uh, that's where you can get this show early and ad-free if we ever get ads on this show. And yes. uh, where you can find all the other stuff and all the bonus stuff that maybe one day me and Matthew have time to do a bonus episode of some sort. Um, and... Uh, Try to remember if I'm forgetting anything. Um, I mean, I can shout out our Patreon producers, but that's mostly for White Comics. That's uh, Anthony Greco and Patrick yeah. Mullen. Uh, thank you for supporting us. Uh, thank you both. You do. Um, I'm trying to think. Anything else? Uh, a good thing I don't wear spurs. That's that's all I really got. <laughs> The South lost the, lost the Civil War. Quit supporting losers. Nazis yeah. suck. Yeah, <laughs> that too. Um, it, it's-